Hey everybody, welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I am your host, Carrie Parker, and we have a really fun interview show for you today. I'm talking with Jenny Gephardt from the EFF, and they've got a new project that they're calling Fix It Already, and uh, it's very aptly named, and it's uh, the idea is to call out some just glaring things that uh, a lot of big-name companies are doing that they just really just need to fix already. Um, and some of them are privacy, some of them security, some of them just basic stuff that we should be all be doing at this point. And for some reason they're not doing so I'll be talking with Jenny about those today. Uh, and we had a really fun conversation. So before we get to the interview, I just want to say a quick thank you to everybody who has taken the time to give a nice review on the podcast or on the book, uh, at Amazon. Uh, I really very much appreciate it. Those reviews honestly go a long way. Uh, and it's really good for other people to see those. So I, for all of you who have taken the time to, to go out and throw up some stars on those reviews, I very much appreciate it. Uh, if you have not done it yet, but you've been meaning to do it, now's a great time to do it. Uh, with For the podcast, you'll probably have to do it through your podcast app. Uh, you may be able to do it online at iTunes as well. iTunes, if you're going to pick one, iTunes is the best uh, the best place to do it because most people see the, the stuff there. Uh, but I'll take it anywhere. <laughs> and and of course, for the book, if you do have the book or uh, and you've had a chance to read it, I'd love to get, uh, have a review thrown up there as well. Uh, again, thank you to all those who have already done it. I appreciate it very, very much. Okay, now for a really fun interview with Jenny Gephardt from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Jenny Gephardt is an Associate Director of Research at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, the EFF. Uh, where she does research and advocacy for consumer privacy and security issues. Welcome to the show, Jenny. Hi, happy to be here. I'm really glad to have you, first timer. Um, I've interviewed so many of your colleagues. So uh, let's uh, let's start with your uh, EFF's got a uh, launched a brand new initiative called Fix It Already, and it's sort of a top ten most wanted in your case, top nine uh, list of security and privacy features, things that you'd like companies to address that seem pretty obvious that they have not addressed. Uh, so let's start by explaining a little bit more about what that's about and uh, what the initiative's goals are. Absolutely. Well, I mean, the goal of the initiative is to, as the title suggests, get these things fixed already. Um, we want to see changes in some of these biggest tech products and platforms that really impact users' security and privacy in a big way. Um, and it is very much, like you said, a, a most wanted list of kind of things that we want to put our focus on and really also focus users and EFF supporters' attention on. As far as kind of how we got to that list of nine, anyone looking at it might notice that, you know, some of these problems are business decisions, some are more like design choices, uh, some are just outright security holes that we think should be fixed. But there's really, there is a, a common theme, and that is that these are well-known problems they have attainable fixes that could realistically happen in the near term. And finally, that they have an outsized impact. We were really looking for fixes that would have a big bang for their buck in terms of impacting users' lives and security and privacy. Yeah, yeah. And then we're going to, well, definitely, we're going to go through some of those in a little bit. But um, so I have some other questions about the list before we get there. Uh, so do you plan mm -hmm. uh, to solicit feedback on this list from the general public at all? Are you going, you know, maybe to nominate new items or? Uh, somehow maybe setting priority of existing items, or is this pretty much just you guys deciding what you're going to do with this list? Input and uh, incorporating input is absolutely uh, a possibility as the project evolves. It's very much kind of a slow burn. Mm. Uh, we launched this project, I want to say, two, two and a half weeks ago. Yeah. We did not expect everything to be fixed overnight. Um, we'll be monitoring these uh, throughout the year. 
So we're really interested in hearing input from users on social media. Uh, you can get in touch with EFF in other ways. And in addition to hearing kind of input on other potential candidates for this most wanted list, we're really interested in hearing from people about how these issues have affected them. Mm -hmm. um, how has this affected your privacy or security? How are you afraid it might? Um, what wacky workarounds have you tried to put in place? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, that's a good one. Issues and make them work for you. We're really interested in hearing those stories and hopefully amplifying them. You know, in so many EFF projects, we are asking users and supporters to amplify a message that we've crafted. Um, here, we're really looking for stories from people who use and rely on this technology in their everyday lives so that hopefully we can try to amplify them to the companies who need to make these fixes. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so other than the sort of, yeah, I guess, public shame aspect of this list, you know, kind of publicizing these things and kind of calling them out specifically and trying to get you know, people to look at them, is there any, is EFF applying pressure in any, any other kind of way? I mean, is there any direct communication around these items to the, the, the affected companies or any other sort of side side angle pressure that you're trying to apply other than just having the list? Sure. Yeah. Anytime you see us kind of applying pressure to a company, it is a safe bet that we are doing it in several ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, so with all of these fixes, we are constantly talking to and sometimes yelling at uh, <laughs> the teams and individuals that the company is responsible for these features or for these problems. Um, and again, like I said, it's going to evolve. I think throughout the year, there might be opportunities for individual campaigns where we really hold one company's feet to the fire. Um, there's definitely opportunities as different companies move or not to kind of re-up mm -hmm. that public shaming aspect, um, especially even as changes happen in the ecosystem. Uh, there's some items on that list where you could point out that that company's direct competitor has the same problem, and that's mm -hmm. by design. Kind of, if we can get that direct competitor to move, then we're going to change the stakes. So we're always trying to push several levers to try to get these fixes a reality. Oh, that's awesome! Because when we get to see what's on the list, there's a lot of things I'd like to fix too. So I hope this works. <laughs> um, so it's only been out a couple of, a couple of weeks or two and a half weeks since you've done this, so it's very new. But uh, what sort of response have any of you received from the the companies themselves? Any? We have not received any public responses yet. Um, we've seen some small moves in some of the fixes that we'll continue monitoring. Um, and I think at some point it might be a tactic for us to use to demand responses, to look mm. for on-the-record responses from companies and see how they hold up. Um, but again, like I said, it's still pretty early days, and we're going to see how it evolves. I think it's really important to us that any pressure we apply is done so surgically. Um, you know, we want to do, we want to use the right tactics at the right times. In particular, when we're really asking users and supporters to raise their voices, we want to make sure that your time is used wisely um, and efficiently as we're trying to apply this kind of pressure. Yeah, for sure. And uh, this is really a cool idea. And I, like I said, I hope it pans out. And it kind of, it makes me think a little bit about, you know, how, um, bugs are reported, uh, you know, uh, to, mm -hmm. to companies and that has, you know, over the years that has formalized itself into this, into this process where there are norms in the way of the, of, of the way that works, where, you know, the, the, you approach the company privately first, you let them know that you have this, you, you know, there's kind of this generally understood 90 day ish, you know, window of like, okay, look, we told yeah. you, you got 90 days to do something about it. If you don't do something in 90 days, we go public with it. You know, this kind of escalating thing with some kind of generally agreed upon timelines, you know, maybe, maybe you'll get to that point later too, where it's become so successful. You'll have so these, you'll end up formalizing <laughs> these things, right? That'd be great. 
Well, and I think that's really part of the goal. I think in some of these consumer privacy and security issues, it's common for users and even kind of advocates in my position to start to feel helpless, right? Yeah. With companies that are so huge, yeah. you know, how could I possibly get, you know, a number of signatures on a petition or a number of retweets on a tweet that would be meaningful to a platform that has billions of people using it? So we're really, we're looking for, I love that you said formalized, right? We're looking for strategies to spin up more in the future. That's the hope with this, to kind of fight against that nihilistic, helpless feeling that you can sometimes have going against the tech giants. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, and to try to find things that can work more in the future. I think that's why we're doing a very new thing with Fix already. It's kind of, it's a new tone, it's a new strategy for EFF. And then, like you said, we are hoping to escalate it throughout the year with different tactics. And when some of them work, that's where we're gonna try to scale it and formalize it and use something that works. So let me ask you this, have you thought, let, let's say this is successful and, you, and some of these companies do, you know, uh, respond to this mm -hmm. as a, as a, as a mechanism, do you have, you know, I don't want you to tip your hand, but is, is there some sort of a positive <laughs> reinforcement? Is there a carrot at the end of this thing that if, you know, if they, someone does come around and do something, you're There's some positive response that you could give them. Oh, sure. Yeah. I think absolutely carrot and stick. If, if a company stands up and stands with users, we will stand with them. Um, mm -hmm. This this project is very much not about shaming a particular company. Um, it's really about putting several horses in the race. Yeah. And when people step up, we are here to sing their praises. And when they don't, we are here to hold them accountable very loudly. So <laughs> if and when we see a company make a move, you will hear about it from us. And we will we'll be cheering them on. And we will be cheering on, more, most importantly, other similar players and competitors to do the same thing. You know, a big part of this, in addition to targeting specific companies, is to lay out and really highlight some of the security and privacy best practices that EFF wants to see companies and products embracing, um, that we think companies are really out of excuses to keep ignoring. <sighs> yeah. Okay, so we've talked uh, we've talked about it. Let's talk. Let's actually get into the list. And I kind of went through your yeah. list of nine cup uh, nine. Actually, turns out it's one per company. I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but um, mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to kind of go through what I kind of think was more really the order that maybe my listening audience might care about. So uh, sure. well, first, let's talk about Android first because there's a lot of Android users out there. Um, and yeah. what, what you have uh, the the goal is, and I'll read them verbatim. It says Android should let users deny and revoke apps internet permissions. Um, so Let's let's pick that apart. Let's unpack that. First of all, how do app permissions work? And th in this case, you're talking specifically about inter internet permissions. So kind of help yeah. us understand that. Yeah. So on your Android or on your iPhone, on your cell phone, um, there's a lot of permissions that you can allow or deny an app, right? When you download an app, they might ask, um, you know, are you going to allow this app to access your text messages? Is this app allowed to access your microphone or location? And you can say yes or no to all, if not most, of those permissions. The one that you have no choice on is internet permissions. And that means, you know, can this app phone home? Can this app connect to the internet while you're using it? Uh, and the example we use of why this is just so ridiculous is, say, a flashlight app or a calculator <laughs> app. Um, what reason would those ever have, right. those, you know, utilitarian apps for phoning home? You know, often it might be for tracking you. It might be for serving ads, things that you don't necessarily want when you download that utilitarian app. So this seems like just kind of a final, um, not final, but kind of a, a glaring omission in terms of what permissions are available to users or not to control. So, and like I said, with kind of some ecosystem points, this is a problem in iOS as well. Um, we point out kind of in our write-ups on the website that while iOS also has this problem, it does not have an advertising-based business model <laughs> like right. Google does. So we're looking at Android to make this change. Um, 
And if they do, then iOS will have no excuse and vice versa. Um, if we can put pressure on iOS to make this change and look good as the first mover, then it'll be Google's move. Yeah. So we think this is something kind of in the various uh, kind of categories of fixes here and problems. This is one that we see as kind of a glaring security hole. This should be closed. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it's interesting that you point out that it's an iOS issue as well. But I, I, one of the things that and I've talked about the differences between Android and iOS in terms of security often on this show, mm-hmm. uh, because they are very different in the way the ecosystems are set up. And you know, yeah. say what you want about Apple being the walled garden and the gilded cage or whatever model, you know, whatever metaphor you want to use. But that mm-hmm. does give them soup to nuts control over a lot of these things. Whereas in the Android market is so fractured. Uh, that part of the problem was even when Android does move to make changes like this, the, the chances of those changes actually making it to any given user's device is is low. I mean, it, the actual like the number of an- upgradable Android phones on the market sure, is pretty small. Sure. Do you want to address that maybe at all? Well, I think too part of these changes is also uh, looking forward to kind of say, like I said, setting those best practices and what users can reasonably expect companies to be doing. Absolutely very different ecosystems as far as where updates are going, how many people are using them. Um, But for this, at least we thought Android was a good place to start for moving Mm -hmm. forward. Like this should be a standard moving forward from now on. Um, Again, like I said, there's just no excuse to keep ignoring this when other permissions holes or other permissions problems have been fixed, or at least users have more control over them at this point. Yeah, and the one other big difference that, and I think this has largely been erased, but I'm curious to know if you uh, if you if you know this. Android for a long time uh, was a set and forget um, uh, one option. When you first install it, you get the, all the choices that this, this app wants, and you could either it was either accept them or not. In a lot of cases, I think mm-hmm. it was all or nothing. And then after that, once you've installed it, your only other option I think was to delete the app. You could, yeah, yeah. but now they've in recent ones. I think it's since Marshmallow. They've they've given you a lot more granularity on being able to go back and change your mind. Uh, has it in your experience? Has it come on par with the with the way iOS does this? iOS is very good about letting you at any time go back and see all the permissions given and and revoke uh, mm-hmm. at a later time. Do you know if Android has come up to to par on that? You know, I don't know as much about how they compare. Mm-hmm. Right now, the latest versions, um, I think your recollection is correct that recently Android gave you a bit more granularity yeah. or a bit more kind of take backsies <laughs> control as a user to decide yes. when you want to change things. Yes. Well, and even to your point, I think that's so important, right? People are often familiar with these permissions at the moment of download. Yeah. Um, but people's security and privacy situations change. They learn more over time. Um, so it's completely reasonable for users to expect that they can be able to change their mind later as their situation changes or as they learn more about what they yeah. want out of Gene. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so let's let's move off for Android and let's get on to Apple. Uh, the next one sure. I wanted to talk about is um, you say Apple should let users encrypt their iCloud backups, which has been something that I have not been able to understand that they have not allowed you to do. Apple mm-hmm. always seems to, you know, they're at least what they're saying in public is they're they're trying their best to not be able to hand the keys over to anybody who asks. They, they don't even want to know, right? They they want to be put themselves in a technological position where if someone mm-hmm. comes with a warrant and says, we want this, and they're going to say, I can't give it to you because that's how it's sure, designed. Sure. This is the glaring hole in that, so I'm so glad you're calling this out. <laughs> so um, explain a little bit about what this means, and then tell me, is, is this iCloud or iCloud Drive or both? And I hate the fact that those two things are not quite the same thing. Sure, sure. Well, here we are focusing specifically on iCloud technically. Um, And to kind of elaborate on that short ask language, uh, because some people will say, yeah, well, don't they encrypt them? Yes, iCloud backups are encrypted, Mm. but Apple also has the key, as you alluded to. So what we want to see here is for Apple to let you decide that you would like to encrypt your iCloud backups so that only you have have the key. Um, 
There are, I think this is one of those asks that does come, it could be a design choice. I think reasonable minds can disagree kind of at scale mm. about how this should be as a default. We're asking for a choice. So right now the default and your only option is that if you're going to back up your phone, Apple will also have the key. Apple can also see your backups. Um, for a lot of people, that is a reasonable choice, right? For some people, yeah. security means that my backups are safe and secure and I won't lose them. So, you know, you drop your phone in a puddle, you forget all your passwords. This can be a lifesaver that you can still access your information and your data that you had backed up. Yeah. For other people, security means that your information data will stay locked down and will not be available to Apple or to law enforcement requests or to leaks. So what we want, um, I think kind of the, the discussion here where reasonable minds disagree is some people will bring up that drop your phone in a puddle use case as something that's really important for a lot of people when you're thinking about mm -hmm. software like iOS that's deployed at scale. So absolutely, let users decide what their risk is. Let users, right. users decide whether they're more worried about dropping their phone in a puddle or more worried about law enforcement requests um, right. and how that might change for them over time. So we want Apple to give you an option here. Um, it's, I think, too, for a company that makes a lot of noise about how secure their phone is, just released a very flashy commercial uh -huh. about how if privacy matters in your life, right. it should matter to the phone your life is on. That's a quote from it. Yep. Well, we think it should matter to the backup servers that your life is on, too. So I think some users don't even realize that this is a glaring security hole because Apple has successfully focused everybody on the security of the phone, and that's a huge selling point. Mm -hmm. um, but that security has to be extended to... Again, talking about ecosystems in a different way to the full ecosystem of places where your data ends up that you might not be aware of and that might not be as visible to you as a user. So this, I think, this is even shaping up to be, I think, one of our more heavy-hitting asks. Again, early days, only a few weeks, um, but this is one that's gotten a lot of press attention and attention from users so far. So it's very clear that people care about this and that they want this choice. Absolutely, and it's it's it's. Uh, I would love to use uh, some of these services from Apple, but I've actually explicitly being, you know, the person I am not done it because of this mm -hmm. one problem. And it, it, what really irks me is that like on the, on my Macs, and I've got plenty on every one of my Macs, mm -hmm. when I encrypt my hardware backup, I can, I can choose to either have them store the key and, you know, so that my encrypted backups can be recovered if, if I forget yeah. the key, or I can choose that key and I take that responsibility. So they already have this capability or, well, they already have this function or this feature for the backup of the, uh, the uh, laptops and things like that, but they don't mm -hmm. have it for whatever reason for their iOS devices. So, yeah, I'd really love to have that. Um, so, <laughs> and, and, and I wanted to bring up a specific case of this and, and just to mm -hmm. kind of drive the point home. And that was the San Bernardino shooting, right? Exactly. That was, that was yes. a case where the, the guy had a company phone. Actually, I'll let, I'll, I'll let you explain it. What happened there? I think you might, you might be more up to date <laughs> on the details than I am. Um, I can tell you kind of how I'm looking at it in relation to this ask. I think there's a lot of how it played out as far as access to the backups. There was at some point a Wi-Fi password changed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but right, San Bernardino, um, San Bernardino shooter case, um, feds wanted to get into a phone. They wanted uh, the ability to get around the full disk encryption on the phone. Um, Apple said no. Apple stood up and said, we are not going to write code to allow you to get into the phone. EFF right. wrote an amicus brief for that case yep. that code is speech and that the government cannot compel Apple engineers' speech. Right? You're writing code. You are cryptographically signing it. It has all the, all the characteristics of protected speech. Um, yeah. And ultimately, Apple won that fight. Um, Apple, I think, very much won in the court of public opinion. Yeah. Um, and I think later even, some of my colleagues who've worked directly on this would know more, um, later uh, 
documents reveal that the FBI had this capability the whole time. So yes. there was some pretty skeezy trying to set precedent right. um, that did not make techie users happy. Right, yeah. <laughs> that, that kind of run around. But it was very clear that this was setting precedent for law enforcement access to otherwise, you know, best in breed encryption. But that was San Bernardino share. Most of that case was focused specifically on the full disk encryption on the phone and getting onto the device. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, uh, do you want to talk a bit more about how um, the backups played into that? Yeah, so the wrinkle there, is, at least as I recall, the, the way the, the wrinkle was there that um, if the phone was backed up to iCloud, which most are, uh, most phones are, uh, most people select mm-hmm. that feature, and I don't, even, I don't know if it's a default or not, but um, if if the if that device was backed up to iCloud and if they could get that device to sync uh, within, I think it's I don't know, twenty four forty eight hours or something, then Apple would have had a backup that they could have that they do yes. per yeah. the point of this thing we're talking about right now they could have handed over that key and then they could have handed over that data but they apparently apple reached out to them early on offered all the help they could give including this but they waited the 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 law enforcement waited too long and by the time and by the time they got around to it it was apple said well too late now we can't do it so yeah well i think part of that was i am vaguely recalling again i haven't looked at the details of this story in a while um since closer when it happened i vaguely recall that a wi-fi password was changed so they could have backed it up, but they would have mm. had to get into the phone to put in the new Wi-Fi password. There was just like uh, many, many layers yeah, of, yeah. of ridiculous technical details. Um, but you're right, right? That and that in that case, the backups would have been the glaring security hole yep. that would have given law enforcement access in that case. Right. All right, let's move on. Uh, the next one I would like to talk about is Facebook should leave your phone number where you put it. And I love this one. And it's I can't wait for you to explain it because this really <laughs> pissed me off. Uh, th- I, by this point, when I heard about this, I'd already quit Facebook. Um, but l- explain mm-hmm. what this one's about. This is a big one. And as you say, like these piss you off, I'm hearing some exasperated sighs. That is the point of this project. This whole project is an exasperated sigh. (laughs) Why haven't they fixed this already? So this Facebook one is also near and dear to my heart as much as a huge privacy problem can be. Um, In this case, so Facebook is drastically misusing people's phone numbers. And in particular, phone numbers that users provided for one purpose, and that purpose was security. So to use uh, two-factor authentication, a security feature, um, in which, you know, in addition to putting in your password, a single factor, um, you might also get a text message with a code in it, um, a second factor Mm -hmm. to to confirm that you are you and that, you know, not only do you know your password, you also have your phone. Uh, a huge layer of protection for people who might be worried about phishing, uh, who might be worried about uh, employers or abusive spouses having a password. Um, so a really important uh, layer of security and two-factor authentication. When users gave Facebook their phone number for that feature, for that security purpose, it also, unbeknownst to users, kind of took that phone number and filled it into every possible blank, both visible to users and behind the scenes. And this is kind of a disturbing trend that you see on a lot of big platforms, but Facebook is very much the biggest offender. So uh, some academics last year uh, and a reporter from Gizmodo, Cash Hill, uh, put out a great report about how they figured out that two-factor authentication phone numbers were also being used for targeted advertising. which is just such uh, it's just, uh, it's such a slap in the face to oh, people yeah. like me and security trainers who have been trying so hard to get targeted users to use two factor right. authentication and to reassure them that it's okay to give your phone number to this big company yes. in this one case um, it's only for security you know we didn't imagine like <laughs> oh my gosh Facebook like 
they couldn't possibly mess it up this bad. Like, this is such a clear best practice. No way would anyone subvert this. Facebook did, um, and it got worse. So in addition to using two-factor authentication numbers that users had given only for security, uh, Facebook was also using numbers that users had never given it at all. Uh, Facebook was using shadow contact information, which kind of means, you know... Uh, let's say I have your phone number. I'm on Facebook. You are not on Facebook. I have your phone number and I upload all my contacts, including your phone number. Now Facebook has your phone number yep. um, and they associate it with you. We make a Facebook profile later. You don't put in your phone number. Uh. You think that because you haven't put in your, yes, that exasperated sigh. <laughs> you think that because you haven't put in your phone number, you're safe. Facebook still has it and is associating it with you and using it for targeted advertising. So again, just taking a phone number from any possible source and filling it into every possible blank without user's knowledge or consent. Um, so that's how we kind of got to, I think, some of the sassiest language on this project <laughs> that Facebook should leave your phone number where you put it um, or in some cases yep. where you never even put it at all yes. so just a couple days after we launched this project a couple weeks ago uh, we got more news oh. about how Facebook has been misusing two-factor phone numbers um, it was just kind of a, another news cycle about how um, those two-factor authentication phone numbers, another blank that they were kind of filled into without users' knowledge, was that also those phone numbers can be used to find your profile. So if someone had your phone number, but they didn't know your name, say, or they didn't know where to find your profile on Facebook, if they uploaded their contacts and your phone number was in their contacts, um, they would be directed to your Facebook profile, kind of at that often when you create an account or choose to upload your contacts at, at that moment where you upload them all, you might... Um, you get a screen that says, hey, you might know these people. They were in your contacts. Um, and so it was another way that kind of, yeah. in some some ways, for all intents and purposes, now your phone number was kind of public. Right. Um, and it was, there was a setting that you could change there to limit the oh, people course. who could use your phone number. But, of course, the setting was defaulted to everyone. Uh-huh. Everyone can use your phone number to find your profile. And even on that setting, um, you can... The, the most limited you can make that setting of who can look you up, the phone number lookup setting, the most limited it gets is your friends. You can't, no one is not a choice. You can't say, wow. I don't want anyone to look me up on my phone number. Um, so that was just another, you know, bad, bad news got worse. Yeah. Um, so this is one we're really watching closely. And I think it's especially disconcerting uh, with Facebook's plans to unify and interoperate mm-hmm. its three messaging properties, right? It's going to put together WhatsApp, Instagram Direct and Messenger, which I fondly call What's the Messenger. Um, <laughs> but if those are merged, right, your WhatsApp identifier is a phone number. Right. And it might be a phone number that you don't want Instagram or Facebook to know about. It might be a phone number that you don't want associated with those identities on those platforms. So before we can have any confidence that Facebook is going to be any kind of responsible steward over becoming What's the Messenger, this issue of phone numbers on Facebook needs to be affirmatively publicly cleared up. And we are going to be watching this one very closely. Now that Facebook, of course, uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is famously every time they've been quote unquote caught doing these things, they'll come out and apologize and say, we'll do better. We're really sorry. No, really, really, we're sorry. Um, but it's always been, you know, wait till you know, wait till you get caught. And I, I don't know what, if they're because the stock price is down or they're losing users. But in the last couple of weeks, Mark Zuckerberg has published that 3000 word. Indeed. Uh, uh, opinion article or whatever it was on I forget where it was published but basically saying okay we, we get it we finally hear you we're going to we're going to become privacy focused what is what is EFF's take on that i mean obviously we we hope that they're telling the truth but you know mm-hmm. what does EFF have a position on that one yet 
we will believe it when we see yes. it. Um, <laughs> it's great that Mark Zuckerberg finally discovered privacy mm. um, in that 3,000 word. I believe it was a post to his Facebook. Oh, sure. um, in, his, in his manifesto, um, he talked about how kind of private messaging and end-to-end encryption is the future, to which we said, yeah, <laughs> and it has been for almost 30 years. Right. You finally caught up. So I think, you know, it, it was great on some level to see Facebook embracing some security and privacy fundamentals. Embracing them in a statement is one thing. Actually implementing them and being a responsible steward of those features is entirely another. Yes. And based on... You know, we don't, we don't have to look far. We just need to look a couple of weeks ago to find news that Facebook is not a responsible steward of security features, two-factor authentication in particular. Yeah. Um, I think, too, in that, you know, 3,000, 3,200 word manifesto, not a single mention of third-party tracking, all mm. the tracking that Facebook does with Pixel across the web, not a single mention of this phone number issue. Um, again, still some glaring holes. So I think... It, it, it might be promising as, as a statement, but the devil is in the details with this stuff. Um, it's going to take a long time for them to roll out, and there are so many ways it could go catastrophically <laughs> wrong for users. And this phone number issue is just one example. Yeah. All right. So uh, next up on your list, or at least on my list of your list, uh, Verizon should stop pre-installing spyware on its users' phones. Uh, they're doing that? Indeed, yes. So we are <laughs> yeah, we are referring specifically to uh, App Flash. That's a specific app that is just installed on some uh, Verizon handsets that allow Verizon and its partners, you know, the, the vague course. ominous partners right. in quotes, um, to track what apps you're downloading and using, and then of course target ads to you based on what those apps indicate. Um, so App Flash is very much our target here. Um, you can disable App Flash, but you can't delete it, right? Which is the case with a lot of pre-installed oh, sure. software. Um, there was, I think, recently in the past couple of months, a news cycle, again, about Facebook, about how the Facebook app is pre-installed on some Android phones, and you can disable it but not delete it. Right. It's, there might be a reasonable argument about how that's important for shipping the phone, but really, let's just stop doing that. Yeah, <laughs> let's just yeah. have people on their phones. So App Flash in particular, we don't just want users to have an option to delete it. We want... We want the spyware to stop shipping with phones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And of course, you know, and Verizon and AT&T, uh, and I can't remember if Sprint and T-Mobile ever caught doing this, but the, there was a big hubbub you know, a few years back about uh, AT&T and Verizon tagging all of their internet traffic with unique identifiers for which mm -hmm. they maintained uh, a private list and sold those identifiers to uh, other advertisers. And uh, it was clandestinely done and someone caught them, caught them doing it and they said, oh, we're sorry, we'll stop. And then, as I recall, the way is the Trump administration basically reversed the uh, the ruling on that, and basically now they're mm -hmm. free to do it again. So as far as I know, it's it's a wild wild west. They're free to do whatever they want in that regard. Yeah, yeah. And again, ISPs and Verizon in particular do yeah. not have a great track record. Um, right. I think though, even even the most trusted party, I would not want to see shipping pre-installed spyware on devices. Yeah. So this is something I think it's it's far past time that this this get fixed. Yeah, and it, it, I used to, you know, used to think, well, that, you know, it was the free part that was always the problem. You know, if I'm paying for something, I should expect more privacy because, mm -hmm. you know, I'm actually forking up money. But this, the, the glaring example, whenever I bring, you know, whenever I talk about that is the, the, the glaring exception, at least for me, is always ISPs. And that includes your cell providers because you're paying them a lot of money, arguably Absolutely. way more than you yeah. should. And, and yet these guys are still double dipping and, and monetizing your data. I think that's a great point, you know, and there there are definitely limits to kind of that that age old adage at this point um, that if you're not paying, you're the product. Right. Um, 
I think too, you know, if you're not paying, you still have rights. Yeah. <laughs> you still have privacy rights and you should be accorded those rights whether you pay or not. I think really the last thing we want is sort of a pay for privacy dystopian oh, yeah. future in which privacy becomes even maybe more than it is right now, you know, a luxury of the privilege and those with the money to, to buy it. So I think it's really important anytime you kind of get caught um, in that mindset that unless you're paying, you must be the product. Users can expect more. Users should be able to expect more. Agreed. Very much agreed. All right, next on. Uh, Windows 10 should let users keep their disk encryption keys to themselves. And this is kind of similar to something we talked about before. But uh, this, in my book, I talk about encrypting your backup drive. And the, one, the big caveat I always have to put for most people get Windows 10 Home. And Windows 10 Home exactly. doesn't, doesn't come with this feature. Go ahead. Yeah, so Windows 10 Home Edition, um, it does have, you know, kind of a built-in full disk encryption solution, um, but only for some users. Uh, what we found looking at this, I think some of this is, it's kind of been evolving at different levels of terribleness. Um, <laughs> you can only, um, only if you have kind of certain hardware that you're using Windows on, or if you sign in with a Microsoft account. Uh, yeah. And that means that if you're going to use, it's called device encryption, if you're going to use that full disk encryption solution, you are going to have to be trusting Microsoft with the backup keys. And kind of for all the same reasons we talked about with uh, Apple iCloud, a different but spiritually related problem. Um, this means that you are trusting Microsoft to look at and hand over or leak all of your backup information. Yeah, yeah. Oh, geez. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. That, that, yeah. These are the things. These, yeah. These things get me worked up too, which is why I'm so glad you guys are doing this. Um, all right. A couple more. Let's, let's type a couple more of these before we uh, get into some ra uh, wrap it up. Uh, Twitter should end to end encrypt direct messages. Yes, they should. This mm. is this is one of the asks um, that in, in some circles I say this and then I just say enough said. Yeah, <laughs> it, right. is, it is 2019. Why is your messaging service not end to end encrypted? Um, I think on Twitter in particular, there's some places where um, it's kind of, you know, why do we choose Twitter among all the not end unencrypted messaging services? I think Twitter in particular, they've tried this before. Um, we know that they have capability mm. to do this. And on Twitter in particular, that is a platform that's really popular with a lot of journalists. Yeah. Um, kind of the activity happening on Twitter, it seems far past time that those direct messages, those that channel you go to when you don't want to be on the more public channel that kind of the Twitter feed is, mm -hmm. that users should be able to expect end-to-end -end encryption there. Right, and and just to clarify for the audience, so when uh, a lot, your messages are very often encrypted, but they're they were encrypted like there's some server usually between you and the person you're talking to. The messages mm -hmm. don't generally go point to point, like directly to from you to the other guy's phone. They go through some some other central service, in this case Twitter, and so it's mm -hmm. encrypted from you to Twitter. Twitter then decrypts exactly. it and can see everything inside of it and then re-encrypts it and sends it to the other end. I, I presume, the only reason I presume they do this, well, A, it might be simpler uh, technologically, <laughs> maybe. Uh, that, maybe we'll give them that pass. But, uh, of course, what you really worry about is what they're doing is they're recording everything in clear text and plain text so they can you know, troll through it all and advertise to you. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's perfect description of kind of what end-to-end -end encryption is. Right now, it is you to Twitter to your recipient. And you and your recipient are the ends. So what we really want is end-to-end -end encryption that completely cuts Twitter and those kind of in-between servers out of it. Um, it also means that uh, if Twitter can still, your message is still passing through Twitter servers most likely, but when it does, it is encrypted gobbledygook. They can't yep. read it. They can't hand it over if law enforcement comes knocking. If it leaks, no one will be able to read it. So what's really important there is that you are kind of reducing the number of ways that message can be accessed. Um, or that me that message can be snooped on. And I think increasingly, kind of as 
as time goes by, as end-to-end encryption really becomes just a no-brainer thing to add to a messaging app, um, it's more and more important for Twitter to do this because I think, especially back to Facebook with the the coming apocalypse of what's the messenger, um, even even Facebook would like to end-to-end encrypt all of your messages. Even Facebook would like to extend that WhatsApp model to Messenger and Instagram, other huge messengers, to kind of use that, what I think now is a no-brainer security feature, end-to-end encryption. It's 2019. No more excuses. So Twitter is a place we really wanted to focus focus this attention on for this project. And, you know, unless some people think, ah, you know what, I don't care. You know, you know, you know what, I want better ads. I want them to look through my stuff and I don't want them to show me stuff Mm -hmm. I don't care about. I want them looking through my stuff. I don't, I don't, and I've got nothing to hide, but, um, First of all, the whole nothing to hard argument is a whole other podcast. <laughs> so, you know, go, sure, go, sure. go look at Grin Greenwald's I'll come back TED for that Talk. One. Yeah, 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 there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, we've already seen plenty of examples in real life where this has gone, you know, gone awry. And, you know, f- you know Uber had a God mode thing, and Facebook a long yeah. time ago had a God mode where people that work there, often with other, all you needed to do was work there, uh, had access to everything. So, and then some of them abused that. They went looking at girlfriends or exes or uh, famous people or whatever. And, you know, obviously, you know, you don't want that. You don't want that. Yeah. And I think even, even if someone is going to say, hey, I still have nothing to hide. I'm still okay with this. I think there's a bigger argument to be made um, kind of about kind of like herd immunity, talking about vaccines, Mm. there's a way that when you use end-to-end encryption, you're also protecting other people who need that encryption. So, you know, imagine, imagine that you do have, say, God mode. Imagine that you are a nation state surveilling the network. Um, If end-to-end encryption is only used by journalists, by dissidents, by survivors of domestic abuse, if I'm surveilling the network and I want to find them, I'll just go to where the end-to-end encryption is. It kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. And with end-to-end encryption, it encrypts the contents of your messages. It encrypts what you're saying. But it doesn't encrypt the metadata. And that includes who is sending the message, when they're sending it, even where they are. So if that, say, end-to-end encrypted activity stuck out like a sore thumb, that could put people at risk. So you may think you have nothing to hide. But if you to live in a society where journalists and dissidents and survivors of domestic abuse are safe, if you end up encrypt your traffic too, then you're kind of helping hide everybody. If everything is encrypted, then someone surveilling the network won't know where to look for journalists. Right. They won't know where to look for your credit card number. I hear some friends say, oh, you know, I heard about end-to-end encryption and I'm going to use it only when I send credit card right. details and my social security number. I say, okay, you know, that's a good start. Use it for everything. <laughs> yes. And when you use it selectively, you're still sending signals right. um, both yeah. about your own activity and about, and about that of others. So I tell people to use end-to-end encryption all the time to yep. protect others too. It's not just about you. Security is very much a team sport. And this yeah. is a big example of where that's the case. <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. All right. Uh, let's go over one more and then it, it, we'll, we'll stop short and do all of them. But, all of them. but uh, uh, the, the last I want to talk about is the Venmo one. And that says Venmo should let users uh, hide their friends list. And for those maybe on the podcast that don't know, Venmo is a payment app. But uh, explain what's going on there. Yeah, so Venmo is a payment app where you can kind of make and receive payments with your friends, uh, with landlords, sometimes with businesses. Um, And Venmo is notoriously public by default. So if you just start using the app, you don't play with the settings, all of your payments, um, the amounts will not be public, but who you're paying them to and any small note you add to the payment will be completely public. Right, Um, And that can paint a very scary picture of who you spend time with, uh, who you do business with, who you live with. Um, It can paint a picture really of your whole life. Um, So Venmo has a setting. Oh, go ahead. Didn't they 
bust somebody for buying weed this way or something? There, there was some big publicized sure story about did. this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's all sorts of that stuff. Um, <laughs> there was also a great website, uh, Public by Default, that someone actually accessed the public Venmo information and kind of painted the picture of some people's lives um, yeah, and yeah. found little characters um, and showed you kind of what they're doing all day and who they're doing it with. So this is very real. It is public by default mm. in every sense of the word. Um, Venmo has a setting to change your transactions, kind of who you're paying and what you're paying them for and when, to change that history to private. So that's great. Um, but Venmo also, as a social payment app, still has a friend list feature where you can become friends with people on Venmo. It becomes easier then to find them sure. if you're going to be exchanging payments with them a lot. There is no option to make that friend list private. Uh. So even if you've locked down your Venmo account, Someone could still find the page for your profile and see all the people you have chosen as oh, friends wow. on Venmo. So that's still painting, you know, then we get the same picture of who you spend time with, who you live with, who you do business with. Um, and that, again, this is one of those glaring security holes on the list. Um, yeah, oh yeah. That, that just needs to be fixed. And Venmo already seems to have the will and certainly the technology to give you a way to hide those transactions. We were just talking about metadata. It's time to hide, hide sort of the metadata oh, yeah. of those transactions as well. It's great that kind of the little notes that are added with the transactions and the details of them are hidden, but there's still a picture of kind of your financial social network, um, which yeah. is extremely revealing. And there's no reason, there's no reason to have that public. Yeah, and I, well, I think a lot of people miss the math on this, and that is that you know the it, it doesn't take you know it's like the you know six degrees to Kevin Bacon thing, right? It's you yeah. know if you actually take all your if you took all your contacts and then took all their contacts, it just went like three hops. the The number of people that that gra that social graph creates is massive, um, and you know absolutely and being able to tie all that stuff together, you know, it's there's a lot of privacy go a lot of privacy issues there. Yeah, wow. Oh, geez. It is. It kind of boggles the mind. Yeah, yeah. you think kind of in my day-to-day -day life, surely there aren't that many people I'm always uh, interacting with or always having on my phone or on Venmo. It's a lot. And like you said, it doesn't take much for it to become very big and very privacy invasive. The one that, that still creeps me out the most to this day, and I use, I use LinkedIn because it's, you know, it's, it is a networking thing, you know, but I know that, you know, when I go into LinkedIn and say, these are people you might know, and I'm like, how the heck do you know that mm -hmm. I know that person and all what I'm hoping, even this is still not a great case, what I'm hoping is that the way they figured that out is because that person or somebody that knows that person uploaded all their contacts is, uh, you know, cause one of the things sure. that LinkedIn like to say is, Hey, you know, give me, give me your password for Yahoo, Facebook or whatever. And we'll just, we'll just use that. We'll only use that to suck up all your contacts and then we'll help you find people you might know. Well, if you know, if enough people do that, that know me, then, you know, that's at least I'm hoping that's <laughs> how they're getting that. Not some other creepier way, but it's probably both. Sure, sure. But it is, right? That's the way that it becomes visible to users of like, oh my gosh, how do they know that I know this random person? Because those social graphs extend so far so yeah. quickly that all of a sudden it's not such a huge technological feat for them to figure that out with all the information they're sucking up. Okay, so uh, when and how will you add more stuff to this list? Are you trying to keep it at a nice round nine? Like when one drops off, then you'll add another? Or uh, and how are you, are the things already on the back burner that you're just waiting, that didn't make the first cut, that you're just kind of waiting to fill in spots when something gets done? We definitely, we definitely have some things that could get filled in. We narrowed down this list of nine from a much bigger list. I'll this bet. is really the, the cream of the crop, the curated gem box that we are presenting to you <laughs> of our most frustrating security and privacy issues. Um, but definitely I think as things get fixed, which we believe they will, um, that might be a chance to add more items to the list. That might be a chance to keep the list as it is and kind of highlight 
um, give the carrot to those who have changed um, so that those who have not yet might have a little bit more pressure on them. Um, one thing that we think might be coming up sooner than we expected uh, is our WhatsApp ask. Mm-hmm. Um, we asked WhatsApp to give users features to um, let them get consent before they're added to a group, kind of to decide mm-hmm. who's allowed to add group automatically Uh, right now if you use whatsapp you could return to your phone and find that you've been added to a group you've been roped into a disinformation brigade and Uh, your phone number is exposed to every member of that group there's a huge user choice angle here and phone number privacy as well Um, this feature of letting users decide who is allowed to add them to groups without their consent um, it has already showed up in the ios beta and there it's kind of hiding in the code of the android Mm. beta Um, so it looks like that's one that might be coming up sooner than later. Um, and then as we see how that goes, I think that's when we'll decide more of what's most effective. Is it effective to keep up the shining example of making the fix? Um, or are we going to be ready to cycle in more items and put more pressure in more places? All right. So other than, you know, adding and replacing more stuff, is there any, any other big plans for Fixel already in the future? Where is it going from here? Is that any other, you know, major kind of features that you're looking to add down the line or you're considering adding? I think we're going to keep it pretty simple. A big strength of this project so far has been that there's not a ton to it. It is a list. It is a list (laughs) in clear, simple language of stuff that is super annoying and frustrating. (laughs) Um, Right. So we're hoping that if kind of the average user could look at this and at the very least say, hey, I recognize that, you know, I've used that before. And I, yeah, why is it that way? Or kind of more likely based on EFF's audience, they could look at it and slap their desk and say, yeah, why haven't they fixed that already? I've been waiting for that. So we're going to, I think we're going to keep it pretty simple. We're going to try to keep it short. Um, Again, to focus our attention and to focus the attention of the users and supporters, we're trying to engage in this process. But I think uh, it's going to, it's going to keep evolving. We're going to see which companies might move first. And then based on that, uh, see where it makes sense to put more pressure next. I think we've kind of roped in teams, individuals at all these companies, they are unknowingly part of the Fix It Already team (laughs) at at EFF. So a lot of it is going to depend on if the companies change, if the companies double down, like Facebook did recently with the Mm -hmm. news cycle of how incredibly terrible they are about phone numbers more than we even realized. So it it depends a lot too, I think, on where the field goes. Um, Let's say, for example, maybe Apple makes a great privacy and security change that they clearly put a lot of resources into, that might be a chance for us to make noise and say, hey, clearly you're willing to do some work on this. Why haven't you gotten to the iCloud backups yet? So it depends a lot on what is happening in the world as well. All right. One last question. I'll let you know and let you go. I know you got to get going. Um, how should people get involved? What else can your listeners do to help other than obviously, you know, spreading this on social media? Is there a particular way that you'd like to spread? Is there a certain hashtag but other than fix it already? Or I guess just fix it already. Uh, how would you prefer if people want to, you know, help you out? What, what can they do? We want to hear from you. Um, so on Twitter and on Facebook, we have a hashtag, hashtag fix it already. What we really want in this project, in addition to putting pressure on companies, is to engage people who use these products and platforms and features in their everyday lives. And we want to hear, has this annoyed you? Um, are, are you worried about this? How has this affected you in the past? Um, is this something that you've developed really weird uh, work-intensive workarounds to make work for you. Uh, We want to hear people's stories. Um, We want to hear, even if this hasn't really affected you, but you have a friend who has complained about this in the past, share it with them. Um, We want to get users talking about this, and we want to hear those stories that can, so that we can amplify them too. Wonderful. Well, Jenny, thank you so much. This has been really, really fun. Uh, and these are definitely the things that make me sigh and roll my eyes. And so (laughs) I, I I wish you the best of luck because it'll help all of us. Thank you so much for coming on the show. 
Thank you. So happy to have talked to you. I want to give a big thank you to Jenny for coming on the show. That was really a lot of fun. I very much enjoyed that. Uh, it was kind of neat to cover a whole lot of ground and a whole bunch of different topics at different places. Um, usually we're so focused kind of on one topic, but it just goes to show that just there's so many really simple things, really you know, low-hanging fruit that, that needs to get picked. Uh, and it's just really no excuse at this point for all these things. And I'm really glad that uh, EFF has taken the time to call these things out. And hopefully, well, you know, it'll drive this change and, and we'll start knocking them down. And as those goes down, we'll, we'll pick up the next tier and find those two. There's, there are plenty of things to be fixed, um, but they've got their top nine out and, uh, you can do your part by, uh, spreading them on social media when you're, you know, subscribe to the EFF if you're on Twitter or Facebook and retweet their stuff when it comes around. They're doing a lot of fixed already tweets right now uh, to promote this new thing. So you can uh, spread the word by retweeting those and liking those. And of course, if you really like what these guys are doing, shoot these guys a little bit of money. Uh, go to their donate page and, and send them even just every little bit helps. So uh, they would very much appreciate that. All right, that's going to wrap up our show for the week. I've got some other interviews kind of in the hopper coming uh, as soon as I can get those scheduled. Hopefully those will be coming soon. Uh, next week, I'm sure we'll be doing another news week, so stay tuned for the news of the week, and I'll catch up on all the things you need to know, and that you can then turn you know, turn around and tell your family and friends as well. Uh, again, as Jenny used the term I love to use, the herd immunity, the more of us do these things, the better off we all are. So that'll do it for this week. Take care, everybody. Stay safe. And as always, don't get caught with your drawbridge down.